Show. So this is how it works, and I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. It's a high-risk strategy, but we do need to understand NHI. For many, it's a deal-breaker. If you're poor and you've got limited access to decent health care, you're going to want to see exponential improvements in government's health care provision. If you're wealthy and you can afford big-ticket medical aid and it comes off your salary every month, you want to ensure that your benefits are not restricted. If you're a working person and dependent on medical aid um, and you lose your job you lose your medical aid, you then are subjected to a, a public health care system, which is not going to give you the sort of benefits, the care that you get in the public sector. So in studio tonight, a well-known voice on the money show, Paul Teron, the managing director of Vest Act, who's nine minutes critique, I think is the polite word of <laughs> putting it, um, has received a very strong reaction online. If you haven't seen it, um, just Google Paul Teron and Blunders and NHI and you will be subjected to some fairly fruity language and a very impassioned critique of NHI. Also, Russell Rensberg, the Program Manager of Health Systems and Policy Advits, who's writing on the subject suggests he holds a very positive view on government proposals for universal health care. Um, broad brushstrokes before we talk about the merits and criticisms of NHI. Uh, Russell Rensberg, let's go to you first. I mean, <laughs> what is the lay of the land in terms of the plan for healthcare provision in South Africa. And if I can ask you guys to keep your answers short and keep the expletives <laughs> pulled on to zero. Yeah. Look, I think I w- I'd probably start off in saying that we need to decommodify health and health is not a commodity. It's a public good. And by that it means like health is, a, is much more than healthcare. At, regrettably, we are in a very difficult situation in our country at the moment. We've had some seriously poor governance and so forth. So there's a big trust deficit in the government. You know, so for someone to come out and say all of a sudden in six years' time you're not going to have your medical aid, which we've all grown accustomed to, creates a lot of panic. Well, I mean, government can basically do a course in public relations first because the, <laughs> we saw what happened to e-tolls because e-tolls were blundered and imposed upon mm, people mm. and people just rejected e-tolls. Mm. Good luck trying to fix that. And they've done the same thing now with NHI. I think in, 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 in a sense, yes, they tried to convince the wrong part of the market. But in my opinion, if you look at what the bill is trying to fix, I think it, 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 it has some success. You know, I, I raised the nine years because in those nine years we had increased fiscal federalism. You know, so each of the nine provinces under the, the JZ years started acting like independent republics. You know, and if you think about how we allocate our resources for health, you can see why that is a problem. We raised around in the public sector consolidated around 220 billion rand in the last year allocated to public financing. Now, how we, we, we separate that or allocate that to different provinces based on their population numbers and need and so forth into something called a provincial equitable share. And, 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 and we just finished there. But so we've got a nice resource allocation process at a national level. But when they start, things started eating at the province, premiers had carte blanche in how they allocated those resources. So budgets for health wasn't ring fenced. So the NHI fund, at least in the short term, consolidates all that public sector funding into one fund and then distributes the delivery of healthcare right down to the facility level. So it fixes that disconnect in a sense. And, and I think it's part of a process of start, starting to reform healthcare. Uh, the process of starting to reform healthcare. Paul Teron, you're not buying it for a second. No, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, that issue about the distribution of funds to the provinces is going to fail at the first pass because it's not going to pass constitutional muster. The Western Cape is deeply opposed to it. They don't want the national government telling them how to apply the funds. Mm. But, Russell, you realize this thing is going to fail, right? You realize it's going to be like Zuma's <coughs> nuclear power stations. The mm. state medical mm. provision is not going anywhere. The state private 
split is not going anywhere. The state will continue to spend 220 plus billion a year, 13% of the current budget, on healthcare in this mm, country, mm-hmm. providing the public service with as best a service it can provide. And you yes. know that it's better in some provinces than others. But that prerogative of the state to make sure that no one goes to the street ill and suffering is in fact the responsibility of the state which is adequately funded by the taxpayer in the current guise. Mm. I fail to see why wealthier individuals who are fortunate enough to be able to save to provide a higher standard of care for their Mm. own families Mm -hmm. should be prevented Banned, basically, from doing so. It's, you're it's going very, to it's ruin. Very, you're going to ruin healthcare in this country. Uh, very strong and emotive language. Approach. Okay, misguided mm. approach. People being banned from having medical aids. Discoveries issued a statement subsequent to the publication of the white paper and on so NHI, people, which has said we don't believe it'll go that route. Yeah. What is your reading Look, of that, Russell? I think in the day is all about perspective. You know, when you look at the market, and, and and for me, when you look at the health reforms, they're not necessarily about whether you have the right to buy services or not. And I think for me it's about your right to buy services impacting on our broader ability to deliver those services, not just to you. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm, I'm, it's quite theoretical. And, and, I'm and when I come back to, to it, you. when we can modify it, right, yeah. like we do now, you know, 70% of our specialists work in the private sector, right? That means they're only available to those people that are funded through medical schemes to access this because our private sector specialists haven't got a mechanism to work in the public sector. Is, is that, okay, where, no. where does the fault lie there? Because no, here no. you've got people who choose to work in leafy suburbs and close to home, and they spend 10 years of their life studying mm. um, for education that either they paid for or mum and dad paid for, that the state may have subsidized at a, at a point in time. That's their choice no. to do that. The, the state spends close to 3 billion rand of its health budget every year on training health professionals, including specialists. Right? And I don't necessarily think that the state, it's probably the state's fault that the state that we're in now for not um, strongly regulating medical aids or private providers in, in, in the manner that it should have. But we are at the point in our history now when we are reaching a crisis, where we have a concentration of capacity in the private sector, Right, and we have a declining capacity within the public sector. And, if, and I want you to pause for a moment. Is that, is that not because the public sector is such an awful place to work no. that generally specialists don't want to well, be there? Well, I suppose that's the overwhelming narrative. But if you think about it, what is health? Health is much more than health care. You know, not so long ago we had our quarterly labor market survey coming out again. And you know what was interesting was if you looked at that survey and you looked at the survey 10 years ago, there's a group of people who are structurally unemployed. Right, there's essentially black and, and minority youths, particularly from the colored community, that are probably 70% unemployed and they haven't been. Marie Lebrandt and others that do the National Income Distribution Survey brought out their survey not so long ago and they said when we did have growth and we had a period of extended growth, the wage growth was actually more in the higher levels and not in the lower, low level jobs. Then when you look at the, the currently a lot of people talk about 10% of the population paying 86, 86% of the taxes. If you look at that group, they also aging. You know, those professionals are aging. Their children are going overseas, building careers elsewhere. And if you look at the growth path for the country going forward, we need to start making a different kind of investment bet. And access to health care can drastically reform the development potential okay, of any individual. Go, Paul If you want public health services to improve, run it better. You know that in the Western Cape, they pay away one rand for every 274 on medical malpractice claims, whereas in 
the Free State, they pay away nearly 174. So mm-hmm. basically the provinces that don't work are those that are run by corrupt ANC administrations. The private sector has got nothing to do with that. What this has to do with is a collapsing state system that is now trying to cover up its faults by trying to attack a completely different industry that has a different rationale. There is no shortage of, I mean, let me put it to you this way. Why doesn't the government, if it's really interested in health outcomes, subcontract on a private partnership basis with the medical aid schemes, discovery and med scheme to run health in this country. Because why doesn't it take the state hospitals hospitals and turn them over to net care and to to, to MediClinic and see how that goes. See whether the medical malpractice declines, see whether the health outcomes are better. Have you read the health market inquiry? I have, and it's absolute nonsense. It's based on a whole lot of flawed assumptions. It comes up with this bizarre idea that healthcare in this country is too expensive, even though it costs one quarter to provide of the cost of the NHS in the UK. One quarter. So in other words, the rand to pound conversion notwithstanding, you get a much, much better level of private care in this country than you do from the NHS in the United Kingdom. So the private sector firstly can't organize their care correctly because you have like four different medical schemes each negotiating the cost. It's doing a great job. It's doing a great job. Hold on. Free market, isn't it though? I mean, I mean, you you can choose the failure. Explain to me where the failure is. Paul, 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 Paul. Paul, look, you're going to look at it from a, from a balance sheet point of view. And I think when you look at MediClinic's balance sheet, you're going to look at the amount of patients that they're getting through, the average cost per patient and the maximum value extracted and that responds to only one portion of healthcare right healthcare is only re- that's only the care bit but health is much broader right health is really uh, a, a series of entitlements that can allow you to improve your functioning and your capability right the private sector is not very good at that there's no there's, this, there's been this wait, wait, hold on hold on one moment Paul. basic human rights healthcare yes it's not a commodity. It's a basic human right. That's why the state is active in the sector. That's why the state spends 226 no, but when, billion rands of South Africa's money so, but when you trying to deliver the service. Where's the problem? The problem the, is that you concentrate the capacity. The to problem the, is not the private sector's. Paul, Paul, let, let him speak. Paul, let him speak. Let Russell speak. Paul, you know, at the end of the day, this is not really a public-private sector problem because there's excess capacity in the private sector. The issue here is in terms of how we fund and cost health care. Right? We can deliver health care. Life-saving ARV drugs that they told us in 2000 we would never be able to afford, and it's just stupid. Right now, there's 4.5 million people receiving chronic HIV medication. Good. The private sector doesn't do that. Correct. But we have 600,000 okay, people that okay, live with Russell, TB, Russell, Russell, where have their TB cases cured every day. Hold on a second. Can we just finish? The, the, bu- yeah. the government sector does that. And Last so, year, so what? we had a listeria crisis. Again, yes. you know, Tiger Brands denied that it could possibly come from their plant. Yeah. And despite the challenges of a collapsing health system, within 60 to 90 days, we sorted out the source of the problem. We had a strong yes. public sector communication campaign, and we went out there and we and resolved so, it. So you're telling me so that what the I'm public saying is, sector works to some extent. <laughs> yes. What I'm saying is from your perspective. And, and I'd be very happy if I was sitting here and you were telling me <laughs> that it was only successes. But we know it's not only successes but, out there. But, Paul, you know, at the end of the day, there are quite a few successes. There are a lot of things where we can probably do a little bit better when we, when we don't look at how But explain care. to me why that means that the government must, instead of just improving what it manages so, itself, so it must now attack the private industry, which has got a completely different rationale, but, but at the end of the day, which is a finely poised balance between the medical suppliers of funding and the companies that provide the services. No, fair enough. So those companies, is an upside for them. 
There's nope. no upside okay, for Paul, them in Paul, this. Paul, okay, There's Paul. absolutely no upside let's, for them. Give, They're let's, dreaming. Let's they are give confused. Russell, let's, let's give Russell the token. I'm also like, it's, it's the money show. I'm Bruce Whitfield. Well. Apparently, I host the money show. And we've got Paul Teron <laughs> in studio. We've also I've got Russell Rensberg. Russell is a program manager for health systems and policy at WITS. Um, there is, Paul sees a very big threat coming from NHI. Lots of people see a very big threat. There is a concern that health specialists who, at the moment, define the way they work, will choose to go and take their trade elsewhere if they're forced by the state into an environment in which they do not want to trade. A state system which is not functioning at an optimum level by any stretch of the imagination. There are pockets of excellence, absolutely, but it is failing the people of South Africa. Government now wants to impose a new national health insurance system on South Africa within six years. That is the plan. And Paul's point, I think, if I summarize it in a less emotional way, Rensburg, is the Department of Health has not covered itself in glory. The Department of Health currently does an inadequate job with the money that it has at hand and it is under budgeting for a massively ambitious project which is to provide universal health care in South Africa to all South Africans at the cost of a private system which for private participants works pretty well Mm. Um, but this is about fairness and this is about equity so can we not make a system that lifts up rather than draws down on a private system that does function well Well, I suppose that's the whole idea around a public-private partnership where you have a public platform where you contract in private sector capacity. You know, I think this thing can be probably have a fantastic upside for some specialized hospital groups who can provide additional capacity into the public system. It also creates probably better income streams for private GPs than what they currently are, only chasing 15% of the population. But the thing is, like, you know, we're taking a bit of a gamble here, right? We're sitting in a country at the moment where there's very little that's taking us forward. Right, we've got a very narrow kind of perspective on, on what our market is and how we can extract that market. When you think, uh, revert back to someone like Peter Drucker, who always talk about outside in versus inside out, then we can probably see a much broader opportunity to use this as some kind of catalyst and social stimulus that can lift South African capabilities and investment. So let's, say for instance, look at a rural hospital. We're going to build a rural hospital over five years. Right? That's maybe our, our time to p- completion on that project. If we design those projects correctly, we can actually create them as some kind of development tool. Firstly, we can train plumbers, electricians, project managers, architects, whatever, from those rural communities. We can create jobs. We have opportunities to look at pr- improving educational outcomes. One of the, the challenges that we face, particularly among rural populations, is a high school a low school completion rate. We understand all of right? these and the, issues. And the point Russell, of those I mean, things, a lot of those things, yeah. has got to do with accessing the right kind of healthcare services at the right time. Absolutely. That can and allow you to complete your potential. You can't continue to look at a small 10% why, of your population. And why does the public system with 220 billion rand, 14% of the national budget, not adequately address those concerns? Why can it not? Well, because you have supply-side issues as well. You know, you've got challenges in how you dominate capacity within that market. At the moment, we... A lot of people forget that one of the biggest challenges that the country faced in 2006 was the HIV-AIDS mm. epidemic. You know, it killed millions of people, including it healthcare workers. It was a disgrace. And, it, and, and across the country and across spectrums, and we lost a lot of capacity during that time. right? And at the moment, increasingly, you know, after the 2008 financial crisis, we also had a bit of a rebound. But after 2012, we had nothing to drive us forward. So our tax revenues have relative, been relatively flat. 
We haven't really seen any growth there, and we haven't a, kept, kept account of, 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 of increased healthcare need. So we are in a situation where we need to harness all the capacity in the system towards one universal health system. But if you undermine the capacity of the private system, you add pressure to a public system. But which capacity are you undermining? If you're going to be contracting in private sector capacity, like now you talk about specialists or GPs, Discovery, Metropolitan, all of those guys have what they call care networks. Right, where they've negotiated with private GPs and the like to take a lower fee to participate in that network. Right? And at the end of the day, the fee was a fee that everybody agreed and they serviced that network. Hold on. Now, the government's coming with a similar plan. What they're saying is they're not going to prescribe a fee to you. They'll never get anybody, any GPs to opt in. Right? They're going to have to agree a fee between, in negotiation that's worked on volume that ultimately is acceptable to everybody. So instead of chasing 15% of the population, you probably have a chance of a market that's probably twice or three times that size. So I, I don't know what the challenge is unless we really sit down and we start saying, look, at 10 years ahead, how do we want to see this thing unfolding? Where are the opportunities for everybody around the room? And how can we as a country coalesce around it and build a better system? Headphones, please, if you would, <laughs> because we have callers. Lesejo Petlele, um, Paul, says, would this Paul chap hold the same view if he was a young black woman? Probably. Well, I'm not. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to go back to the issue of whether or not Healthcare is some kind of shibboleth. It's some kind of basic right which stands much higher than all the other rights in our constitution. That's wrong. You know, it's very important. But personal safety and security is also very important, very important. But somehow we haven't arrived at the country juncture where people say private security shall henceforth be banned. We haven't arrived at the point where they say, you know what, you're only allowed to be a policeman and that you must take the money that you're currently spending on private security at your office and at your home and all the other places, and we must send that to the government because we have social solidarity, and we're going to use that money to hire more desks at police stations, and we're going to get more yellow trucks, and good luck. That's not the country we live in. This mumbo-jumbo about, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to be optimistic and we've got a great plan and the minister's thought it all through and the guy with a suit that doesn't fit him says that corruption will be ruled out. It's all garbage. The reality of our lives here in this country is that we deal with a state which is not capable of organizing itself out of a paper bag. So we must come up with suggestions, strategies, and other policies which make sense in our reality. Uh, and that Yaz, is not to is imagine that we're going to go out and do these things that we cannot possibly even begin to pull off. Fayaz in uh, Fairlands is a medical doctor. Uh, Fayaz, your perspective, a quick one, please. Yeah, my perspective is that in the last two weeks, I have two patients who went after a trauma to a big academic hospital in Johannesburg, and three days staying in that hospital, they ran away, they signed the refusal of hospital treatment form, and came to private hospital, just because they could not tolerate the conditions they Thank you. I mean, that's the brutal reality with which we're dealing. And until the state shows an ability, Russell, to deal with the fundamental bucket of hot soapy water and, and service delivery within the existing system, this is going to be a very hard sell to medical professionals, and it's going to be a very hard sell to people in the private medical aid space, people who 
do generate tax revenues which currently fund the 220 billion rand that goes into public health care. Uh, along with the millions of South Africans that pay VAT that also contribute to a It's a tiny proportion case. of the overall tax take. I'm tired of that argument. <laughs> Sibongile in Blegari um, wants to have a go at you, Paul Teron. Hello, Sibongile. I, I think sometimes the arrogance of rich capitalist-minded <laughs> people is actually astounding. Because I'm even hearing your argument now, you're looking at it from a point of view that the fault is with those who are trying to bring back the mumbo-jumbo is considering it that you are going to ruin the private sector as opposed to considering that the private sector could also help a public sector that is struggling. Good point. Thank you, Paul Teron. But I made a suggestion earlier that if government is serious about serious medical outcomes, that they turn over their failing system to the private sector. We've yeah. seen this work. Netcare has run... Pilot programs, I think in Port Alfred was one, where yep. they actually administered a my hospital, da- my, my dad spent which actually hospital. for once ran well. Yep. But mm. no, you know, in failing provinces like Limpopo, like Mpumalanga, like the Northwest, we persist, wasting money, massive, massive medical malpractice claims, rank corruption, failure in terms of procurement. Mm-hmm. But no, you know, somehow we think it's going to be a so, clever idea. So if the we status quo is to, okay. No, the status quo is not okay. The status quo is utterly unacceptable, and yeah. it is the government's responsibility to come up with creative solutions to fix the status quo in the public health sector, which do not prejudice our country's healthcare system at large. Russell? Uh, Paul, I think you make some excellent points, and I think probably where you're standing and the people that you talk, they make a lot of sense. Right, but 80% of the people who don't have access to those services dif- disagree with But the you. state is failing no, to deliver to well, those 80%. Well, it's I think the state failing here, Russell. Look, I think it's a societal point. failure when we start pram- trumping the interests of money ahead of people. Right? And it I think, is all about money, though, because if you can't fund it, you can't run it. Well, I think at the end of the day, what they're saying is that there are broader governance reforms that are required. Right, we're saying that we had a terrible nine years. We lost, mm-hmm. eroded a lot of. Capacity. Or a terrible twenty-five, or 30, 50, 360 years. Yeah. Terrible twenty-five, depending on who you ask. You know, I yeah. think we we really had some very interesting lessons over the last while, right? But I think what we need to do is start charting a path around inclusive growth and inclusive prosperity, and not something or shared prosperity, not something necessarily where everybody's billionaires like poor, but. We but, need to create a society and an, and an enabling environment that allows people to flourish, you know, and access to healthcare can do that. I firmly believe that if we start looking at the problem from a different perspective, right, and seeing like, listen, how can we use this as a big grand public-private partnership, not where the private sector is there to benefit, but we walk onto a journey and try and see how do we des- design a system that works. The, and I think the system allows for the, that. The trouble is the system that's been proposed is not a journey. The system is a destination. And here's the destination well, that's happening come hell or high water in 2026, you know, which is confrontational. It's, well, it's adversarial. Well, I think at the end of the day that those are the parts. I mean, when you look at the risk, people are going to identify the biggest risk first and not necessarily the opportunity. And I think the government could have done a better job of communicating that Correct. journey. Right, they didn't do that. Instead, they tried to pander to the fears of Paul, and they were never going to convince him. <laughs> Paul, right? can you agree that this is this is not about healthcare? This isn't about NHI. This is about an unfair society, an unjust society, in which people with nothing are treated massively unfairly in a country that tr- should treat them better. Can this, we agree on that? No. Well, the state has a has reached a point in our nation's history where it has the tax base that it has, and I'm afraid that tax base is not getting any bigger. So in other words, we've got declining growth, we've got tax compliance, we've mm. got a negative tax ratio in relation to GDP, we've got no GDP growth. Mm. 
So the government is now facing the unfortunate point where they don't have any more money to spend on government employees, they don't have any more money to spend on roads, healthcare, anything else. Mm-hmm. So now they're kind of scratching around for more solutions. And I think that they will need to really take a long, hard look at themselves in terms of applying the current funds and the current resources and trying to encourage resources to come back to the public sector because many health specialists and others used to do a lot of voluntary work and now they don't. But I can tell you this thing is going to fail. The only question is, is it going to fail like the power stations that Zuma tried to push on us or is it going to fail like the (laughs) e-tolls or is it going to fail like some of the other policies we've had? Is this coming hell or high water? There's room for for movement in 20 seconds, Russell, please. I think there's room for movement. You know, I think this is a shared journey. There's a period of, of public comment, but I think what we need to, what we need is a change in perspective. Right? I think what we need to understand is that with the problem that is in the interests of both the elites and of the broader unemployed or non-elite classes is a different growth plan. And, and for that, and for whatever we want to do, we need capable people. Investing in health can do that. Absolutely critical. Russell Rensberg, we must leave it there. But thank you for coming in. Program Manager for Health Systems and Policy Advits, an impassioned appeal for a transformation of health because health is unfair, unequal, and a disaster zone as it sits at the moment. And Paul Teron saying, if it ain't broke, don't, uh, if it ain't broke, don't, uh, don't break it further uh, from a private sector perspective. An impassioned debate. The podcast will be up on the website soon. You can shout at Paul then.